The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf and another podcast. We welcome as our guest the liturgical year. Since we have passed Christmas and Epiphany, it could be good to review where we have been and where we are going, and perhaps along the way learn something about ourselves and about our active participation at Holy Mass. And since it is winter and it is cold, I have some winter poetry for you. Let's get right to work. Each year, Holy Church presents to us anew the mysteries of the life of the Lord and the history of our salvation. These mysteries and the history don't change, but we do. Each year, we come to church changed by how we have lived and what we have done and what we have experienced. And so we receive, in a new way, what Christ offers us through Holy Church's sacred liturgy. We change, and therefore we receive things in a different way. The liturgical year begins with the Advent and Christmas cycle, and that's what I will focus on in this podcast. Advent, of course, begins the liturgical year. During Advent, we prepare in a penitential spirit for the coming of the Lord. And this coming is primarily the second coming at the end of the world. But it is also, of course, our preparation for the celebration of the Lord's first coming at his nativity. We have a penitential season before the feast. Before our feasts, we really should fast to get ready. During Advent, we also observe the Ember Days around the Feast of St. Lucy. Lucy, of course, is a name associated with light, and, of course, this is the time of year, in the northern hemisphere at least, that the days are at their shortest. But we are also, at this time of year, at the turning point. Soon the days will get get longer again. So the ember days, all through the liturgical year, connect us to God's providence, which is revealed also in the turning of the earth and the changing of the seasons. In the traditional form of the Roman calendar, as in the newer calendar, the feast of the Nativity, Christmas Day, is extended with an octave, an eight-day period during which time stops and we rest in the mystery we celebrated so that we can reflect on it more deeply. In this context, the Church, for many centuries, celebrated the Feast of the Circumcision of the Lord on the eighth day, the octave day. In 1960, the name of the feast was changed simply to the octave of Christmas, and in the newer post-conciliar calendar, we celebrate the Solemnity of Mary, Mother of God, on the 1st of January, the Octave Day, as well as the World Day of Peace. Let's just say that the 1st of January is now pretty complicated. But in Jewish law, boys were given their names at uh, their circumcision. And so for centuries, the Feast of the Circumcision included also the commemoration of the naming of the Lord. The liturgical commemoration of the holy name of Jesus was teased away from the circumcision and celebrated on a day very close by. 
It's interesting that other Christians with a deep liturgical tradition have kept the 1st of January as the commemoration of his holy name. Moving along past the octave of Christmas, 12 days after Christmas is the Epiphany of the Lord, which traditionally celebrates three manifestations of Christ's divinity. The visit by the Magi, the Lord's baptism by John, and how Christ changed water to wine at the wedding feast at Cana. In ancient times and in the Eastern churches, Epiphany was, and still is in some ways, more important than Christmas. In the newer calendar, the baptism of the Lord was teased out as a separate and very important feast which ends the Christmas cycle. Traditionally, however, Christmas tide, the season, ends on 13 January, which would have been the octave of Epiphany. And even now, in the traditional calendar, is the commemoration of the baptism of the Lord. In the traditional Roman calendar, we remain somewhat Christmassy all the way until the 2nd of February. The 2nd of February is called Candle Mass because we bless candles on this day. And just as the prayers of Epiphany often refer to light, the 2nd of February, which is really the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary, also refers to light. With Candle Mass, we also mark a 40-day cycle, and there are several of them in our liturgical tradition. We have the 40th day after the Nativity of the Lord. On the Feast of the Purification, we commemorate Mary's obedience to the law. The law in the Old Testament, of course, described in Leviticus, said that women who had given birth had to go to the temple for ritual, ritual purification. She didn't need to do this, but Mary did it from obedience. And an echo, by the way, of Mary's obedience is maintained in a blessing that women can receive after having a child. This custom is called churching, or the churching of women. The theme of light and the Feast of the Purification uh, obviously stems from the words of the old man Simeon in the account in Luke's Gospel when the Holy Family comes to the temple. Simeon, an old man, had waited to see the Messiah, and when he sees him, Simeon pronounces a hymn of praise, which is used in the Roman liturgy every night during the recitation of the last hour of the church's day, called Compline, from the Latin for completion or fulfillment. Simeon calls Jesus light for revelation of the Gentiles. However, tracking back to Christmas, on the Feast of the Purification, at Holy Mass, during the older, traditional, or extraordinary form of the Roman Rite, Father will use the preface for Christmas one last time. Until, of course, our planet whirls back in its orbit to Christmas, Midnight Mass next year. Now, in each of the great moments of the Christmas cycle, we are going to be redirected back to the signal reason for our Lord's coming, and that is his passion and his cross. Christ came into the world to teach us more fully who we are, to reveal who we are to us as God's images, but he also principally came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from the sin of our first parents, of which we are also guilty because we are members of this fallen human race, and to save us from our personal sins. And so, at Christmas, the wood of the manger reminds us of the wood of the cross. At his circumcision, 
he shed his blood for the first time in his saving mission. The myrrh brought by the magi is a spice used for burial. Even at Candlemas, there is a, a solemn undertone to the rite of the blessing of the candles. We receive the candle from the hands of the priest in the same way that we receive palms on Palm Sunday. In the traditional Roman way of receiving a palm or a candle, we kneel down before the priest and we, as we receive the object we're being handed, first we kiss the candle, or the palm, and then we kiss the priest's hand. And the blessing of the candles is done in purple rather than in white. There's a solemn undertone to such a beautiful and glorious feast. The whole liturgical year presents the mysteries of the Lord's life as well as the history of our salvation. We who are baptized when we enter into the sacred precincts of a church and with the beginning of the sacred mysteries at Holy Mass, we become participants in these events. Just as the Lord reveals us more fully to ourselves and he saves us, the liturgical action does the same thing. Remember, Christ is the one who is the true actor during Holy Mass. And so the representation of the mysteries at Holy Mass teach us who we are. Hearing stories, for example, in Scripture and hearing reflections on the Lord's life isn't simply a retelling of things that happened long ago, as if they're just back in history and they don't really have anything to do with us today. Think about it this way. When you hear a story about your family background, you come to know something more about yourself. When you participate in the saving mysteries of Holy Mass, you are learning more about who you are and what God wants for you. Hearing scripture and contemplating the mysteries that we celebrate liturgically reveals to you your own family identity as children of our Father in Heaven. We've all been made adopted children through Christ and the Holy Spirit. Our participation in the sacred mysteries at Holy Mass teach you who you are, even as they save you and open up for you a way to heaven. Sometimes in these podcasts I have read poetry, and several of my correspondents in email have asked for a bit more. Since I spent a little time talking about Candlemas, the 2nd of February, here's a Candlemas poem by an English poet, Robert Herrick, who died in 1674. Herrick was a prolific poet who often focused on how beautiful life is. He is the one uh, who penned the famous line, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. So here is Robert Herrick's Ceremonies for Candlemas Eve. Now in this poem, he is going to mention fragrant plants, which when crushed or touched or brushed, release a beautiful scent. He refers to box, which of course is boxwood. It's buxus 
semper virens, or always verdant. It's evergreen, and all the plants that he's going to talk about in here are evergreen plants. If uh, box is buxus, uh, the yew plant he mentions is toxus. Uh, yew had red berries like the holly he mentions. Uh, yew could, in some places, uh, substitute uh, for palms on Palm Sunday. Uh, yew, like boxwood and cypress trees, sometimes found around the borders of, cer- of cemeteries. So there's there's a solemn undertone even in the in the uh, uh, beautiful imagery of these different plants being changed at different times of the liturgical year in Herrick's poem. Herrick talks about rushes. Rushes are, of course, another evergreen plant. They were used uh, on the floors of dwellings. Uh, when you would walk on them, they would they would make a nice smell and they would help to keep things clean and they'd have to change the rushes out uh, on occasion. The pith inside the rush plant uh, was, by the way, used to make candles. Uh, they called them rush lights. Uh, you'll see the word Whitson, which is another name for Pentecost, probably because of uh, of a white flower that blooms on trees around the time of, of Pentecost. All of the plants that you hear in this poem are evergreens, and they, they smell beautiful. And here is Ceremonies for Candle Mass Eve by Robert Herrick. Down with the rosemary and bays, down with the mistletoe. Instead of holly, now upraise the greener box for show. The holly hitherto did sway, let box now domineer until the dancing Easter day or Easter's eve appear. Then, youthful box, which now hath grace your houses to renew, grown old, surrender must his place unto the crisped you. When you is out, then birch comes in, and many flowers beside, both of a fresh and fragrant kin to honor Whitsuntide. Green rushes, then, and sweetest bents, with cooler oaken boughs, come in for comely ornaments to readorn the house. Thus times do shift, each thing his turn does hold. New things succeed as former things grow old. As I listened to Herrick's poem, what came into my mind is how uh, in our world of artificial lights and plastic scent dispensers, we probably are, are, are rapidly losing something important for our identity as human beings and as Catholics. In the ins and outs of days and nights and the changes of seasons, we can be disconnected uh, from the importance, the significance of those changes because of the artificial help that we have. Uh, We should do what we can perhaps to recapture some of that by integrating seasonal things into our lives. 
The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot is packed with symbolism and references, which uh, space and time doesn't allow me to delve into at the moment. But in this poem, you might listen for how Eliot plays with moments of uncertainty and discomfort, which point eventually to something hopeful. Uh, within the journey, there is an experience of conversion, which leaves you changed forever. Just as old things give way to new things in Herrick's poem, uh, in this poem by Eliot, it seems like we have to lose old things. We have to lose the old man, as it were. And then when we do, and we then look around at our surrounding, uh, hitherto familiar to us, we, once converted, can come to see that that which was once familiar is now perhaps an alien world. Now, I don't think that poets are usually the best qualified to read aloud their own poems, but we do have a recording of T.S. Eliot reading his poem, The Journey of the Magi. And here is the poet himself. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey, the ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels, galled, sore-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling, and running away and wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this, set down this, where we led all that way for birth or death, there was a birth, certainly, we had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. Oh, 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 oh,
Finally, here's a poem called Winter Time by Robert Louis Stevenson. It's from uh, an 1885 work called The Child's Garden of Verses. And it's fairly straightforward, as is appropriate for a child. But it does remind me of how glad I am to be living in the 21st, 21st century with the enjoyment of central heating, despite my little tirade a moment ago about how artificial uh, our surroundings have become. I am glad for central heating. Here's Robert Louis Stevenson's Wintertime. Late lies the wintry sun abed, a frosty, fiery, sleepy head. Blinks but an hour or two, and then a blood-red orange sets again. Before the stars have left the skies, at morning in the dark I rise, and shivering in my nakedness by the cold candle bathe and dress. Close by the jolly fire I sit to warm my frozen bones a bit, or with a reindeer sled explore the colder countries round the door. When to go out, my nurse doth wrap me in my comforter and cap. The cold wind burns my face and blows its frosty pepper up my nose. Black are my steps on silver sod. Thick blows my frosty breath abroad. And tree and house and hill and lake are frosted like a wedding cake. That poem and its imagery of going out into the winter as a child summons back to my own mind memories of terribly cold winters when I was a boy, but I nevertheless spent hours and hours outside uh, skating, playing hockey, and uh, coming home, for example, with my, my clothes uh, cracking from the moisture that they had wicked away from my body, and uh, little, little icicles, like little icicle crow's feet around my eyes as if I were prematurely aged. And at our lake place in the north of Minnesota, when the wind would blow the lake clean, we could skate and skate and skate and hear the booming crack of ice buckling under its own expansion. And could go out at night, especially when there was a, a, a bright moon, and skate at night. And the sky, uh, without all the lights of large cities or industrialization around, the sky would almost press us down. It was so black, and the scar stars looked as maybe the ancients must have seen them, as if they were like little holes through which we could glimpse light beyond the spheres.
Benedicite omnia opera Domini Domino, laudate et super exaltate eum in secula. Benedicite celi Domino, benedicite angeli Domini Domino. Benedicite aque omnes que super celo sunt Domino, benedicat omnis virtutis Domino. Benedicite sol et luna Domino, benedicite stelle celi Domino. Bless the Lord, all ye works of the Lord. Praise and exalt him above all forever. Bless the Lord, all ye heavens. Bless the Lord, all ye angels of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all ye waters that are above the heavens. Let all powers bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, ye sun and moon. Stars of heaven, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, every shower and dew. All ye winds, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, ye fire and heat, cold and chill, bless ye the Lord. Bless the Lord, dews and hoarfrosts, frost and cold, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, ice and snow, nights and days, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, light and darkness, lightning and clouds, bless the Lord. Let the earth bless the Lord. Let it praise and exalt him above all forever. Bless the Lord, ye mountains and hills, everything growing from the earth, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, seas and rivers, fountains, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, ye whales and all that move in the waters, all you fowls of the air, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, all ye beasts and cattle, sons of men, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord Israel, praise and exalt him above all forever. Bless the Lord, priests of the Lord, servants of the Lord, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, spirits and souls of the just, holy men of humble heart, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord Ananias, Azariah, and Mishael, praise and exalt him above all forever. Let us bless the Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit. Let us praise and exalt him above all forever. Blessed art thou, Lord, in the firmament of heaven, and worthy of praise, and glorious above all forever. Amen. Benedicite sacerdotes Domini Domino, benedicite servi Domini Domino, benedicite spiritus et anime justorum Domino, benedicite sancti et humiles corde Domino, Benedicite Anania Azaria Mishael Domino, laudate et super exaltate eum in secula. Benedicamus Patrem et Filium cum Sancto Spiritu, laudemus et super exaltemus eum in secula. Benedictus es in firmamento celi et laudabiles et gloriosus in secula. Amen.
With that, I'll wrap this up. Please visit at the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Father Z's blog. You can find it easily just by Googling Father Z or by going to fatherzonline.com, F-A-T-H-E-R-Z online.com. We'd be very glad to see you there. You can participate in conversations on a variety of topics having to do with life, the universe, and everything. Please pray for me as I will for you.